What's going on, boys and girls, and welcome back to another episode of Eating Shit. It's been a while, I know, if you're watching this video. Still don't have the podcast room set up, but we're getting there. Um, I got permission this quarter, gave myself permission, I just feel bad, um, to do a lot more content stuff on Wednesdays. So pretty much Wednesday afternoon, I can do this, I can go film at Properties, I can make a TikTok while I'm doing there. Just trying to figure out the little specifics on doing that as efficiently as possible. But that being said, uh, should be able to get on here once a week from now on and not have to do it like, oh, I'm going to do it this day, and then it gets pushed. Oh, I'm going to do it this day, and then it gets pushed, and then, oh, I'll do it on Saturday. And then it gets pushed, and then I end up not doing it. But either way, um, also another thing, you guys that um, I guess are friends with me on Facebook or in my local investor group and all that stuff. Um, I've been doing these longer like blog posts this year, which I think are good. Um, they're valuable. That's what I try. It's what I do it for, but it takes me fucking forever to write them. Um, it takes like two hours. So I think that pretty much I'm going to stop doing those and do the same exact thing. I'll just write my outline, but instead of writing the whole post, I'll just come on here and do a podcast about it because I'd rather do that, and then maybe I can use um, some AI tech shit to transcribe it into a post and still post it, or maybe just do the podcast and call it a day. But either way, um, I mentioned that because today's topic for the podcast, um, I did a blog post on about a month ago or so. So this is the age-old question of, is wholesaling ethical? Wholesaling real estate specifically, um, so yeah, I have a couple of bullet points here. Um, I went into probably too much detail as I do on the the written blog posts about it. That's why they take so fucking long to write. Um, but just to hit three main points here, um, you know, I've seen posts about this topic specifically on like you know bigger pockets or different real estate forums and stuff like that. I don't know. I think it's kind of a pointless question. Like you. Always the answer is it depends like and it for this one specifically it depends on who you talk to and which side of the equation you've been on or maybe you've been on none of the sides of the equation. You have to remember that there are people out there that just think business is unethical in general. So, you know, it's that's why it's like depends who you talk to. Um, I have kind of a unique perspective on this because I've been on all sides of the wholesaling equation. Like when I started in real estate five and a half years ago, I was the wholesaler that didn't know shit. That's how I was getting into real estate. So I've been that guy. And then I've been, you know, a flipper that finds their own deals the same way that you would find your deals as a wholesaler going off market direct to seller. I've been a flipper that has bought deals from wholesalers. So I've seen other people's wholesale deals. And, you know, now we wholesale a lot of deals. And um, so it's more of like a, uh, I guess, like at scale, you know, many, many deals a month type thing um, with systems and processes and people and all that stuff. So I've kind of see it, seen it front to back and I've been on both sides of like being a bad wholesaler, being a good wholesaler, buying from bad wholesalers, buying from decent wholesalers, and then also being a real buyer as well. Um, so like, you know, three, three main points for this for like, is it ethical? Um, I mean, the first one, I think where a lot of people get themselves in trouble um, or where it can be seen as unethical is just misrepresenting to the seller in general. Um, and I think that, you know, when you learn about wholesaling on the internet or 
whoever you're you're learning it from, usually it's like, you know, what they tell you to tell the seller, like, you know, all cash offer as is, we pay all the closing costs, close in seven days and all this other stuff. And I think that's where like when you're brand new, like you see that online and you're like, yeah, okay, that's what I'll say. Cause like, why would you say anything else if whoever's teaching you tells you to do that? When you've been on, when you've talked to a lot of sellers and when you've actually like purchased deals and to flip or to hold or whatever, um, you figure out pretty quick that like basically no one needs to close in seven days. Very, you know, I've done 150 deals or more, I don't know now, and I've been on hundreds and hundreds of appointments with sellers. I've probably talked to a thousand sellers on the phone or more. And like, I can only think of, I'd have to really think to get three people that truly needed to close in seven days. Sounds great. Like, yeah, you can have your money in a week, but it's not necessary. And because you don't know what you don't know, um, you're just like over promising to the seller that you're going to have it wrapped up in seven days. And then inevitably on day six or day seven at 9 PM, uh, the seller's going to be mad at you because you didn't pull it off. And when you've been on the purchasing side of a deal where you like actually have to buy something and actually take title to it and just know what that process looks like, it's just an unreasonable expectation. Like, can it be done? Yes. But um, why put yourself in that situation? Like it's not good for anyone. And then you're, you're just going to have to go back on your word to the seller. And then that's where wholesaling gets a bad name. We'll get into numbers in just a little bit. I guess that's on point two, but I think like the most, the worst things I've seen with wholesaling is like totally over promising and totally under deliver delivering, um, to the seller because you're sitting there face to face with them. So I think it's better to do the opposite if you're brand new to wholesaling, like under promise and over deliver. And whenever we get pushback for either, you know, timelines or inspection contingency or anything like that, that's exactly how, what we say is that like, you know, can we do it faster? Yeah, probably. But the last thing I want to do is tell you that we can get it done in 14 days. And then on day 14, for whatever reason, it can be a ton of different reasons you know, we're calling you and asking to extend and then you're going to be mad at me and this and that. It's better if we just leave it at a 30 day close, as long as that fits like with their true timelines. And almost every single time the sellers are like, yep, that works because like 30 days is super fast to close like a full real estate transaction from front to back without a listing or anything like that. So it's almost always works like that. Um, point number two is just being able to perform um, like just as a whole, like for the whole transaction. And this comes from knowing your numbers, which also comes from experience and being on all sides of the equation. So, you know, the probably even bigger than overpromising, I guess it kind of falls into the same category is just like wholesalers bailing on tons and tons of deals because they don't know what they're doing. They get all pumped up, they go contract a deal, and then they figure out that it's not a deal because their numbers were really, really wrong. So, you know, their ARV, the after repair value, they estimate that it's 10% higher than it should be. Um, their rehab budget, they estimate at 15K when it's really 60 because like, they just have no clue. They're just guessing. They don't know what it costs to rehab a house. They've never rehabbed a house before. And it, 
you know, it's when you're new, especially because typically you have no money when you start $15,000 sounds like a lot. Like, yeah, you could totally fix up this house for 15 grand. It's like, again, totally unreasonable that like it's never going to happen. And when you mess up on those two numbers in that direction, overestimate on ARV and underestimate on rehab, all of a sudden you don't have a deal. Like you contracted it. You're like, oh my God, that was easy. The reason why it was so easy is because the seller has talked to 15 people before and they've heard 15 offers between say 200 and 220. And you come along on one of the first people you've ever talked to and you contract it for 250. And they're like, yeah, cool. It's the highest offer I've ever gotten. Let's do it. And you're like, holy shit, I just did it. Wow. And then you blast it out or you take it to the few buyers that you know and they say 200, 215, 220. And then inevitably the, the wholesalers always get mad at the buyers like they're doing something wrong when the real reason is they just don't know their numbers because they're brand new. And then how would they know? They just don't have the experience yet. Um, that's where most of the bad stuff with wholesaling comes in when people are like either knowingly or unknowingly like just locking up deals and like maybe this will work. Maybe we can make this work type thing. And they're just not confident. They just can't ever perform to what they promised, you know, like, like the seller to the seller, I should say, like when we lock up a deal, we're so confident in our numbers as far as like ARV rehab, uh, profit margin, all the other costs that goes into actually flipping a deal. You know, when, when we're on an appointment with a seller and they agree to a 200 purchase price and that is our max offer, um, it doesn't matter what we do with the deal. We can wholesale it to another buyer. We can take it down and flip it. We can take it down and hold it, whatever because we know that when we contract at our max offer except for you know maybe an unforeseen thing major item in like a home inspection which we actually pay for a real home inspection which you'll never see a wholesaler do um we're going to be able to perform and the seller's going to get the deal that was promised to them up front as far as timelines as far as price and all these other things and so when you look at it from that point of view wholesaling is totally ethical because you're producing the marketing to get in front of the seller at the right time. Um, you're doing all the work as far as like taking all these appointments and contracting the deal, running the numbers, doing all these things. You're basically like serving up a deal on a silver platter to another buyer that's going to come in and actually close on it. Um, but the, the difference is, are you doing what you said you're going to do because you actually know what you're doing when you promise the seller, yep, we're going to close in 30 days. We need a 21 day inspection contingency. Um, and you know, after we tell you we're good on the inspection contingency, it's actually going to close and it's going to close for the amount that we promised right now. Um, when, when it's like that, it's indifferent to the seller what happens to the deal because we held up our end of the bargain and totally over delivered on what we said was going to happen versus the other way around that happens on 99% of wholesale transactions that ever happen. And it's just because most people that wholesale are brand new and they don't know what they're doing. And very few people actually wholesale at scale and treat it as a business um, where they get enough experience to do it how we do it. And, you know, just be able to pull off deal after deal after deal and hardly ever have to renegotiate unless it's some crazy, unexpected, um, you know, condition issue. That's the only reason. Um, and then, so point number three is really just like being a real buyer, I think is like the way to do it. Because if you are a real buyer, 
you actually have the ability to close on the deal yourself, which most wholesalers do not. Whenever we're on an appointment, again, it goes back to the same thing as like knowing your numbers. When you're a real buyer, like you have to know your fucking numbers because you have real risk when you close on a deal. Um, the risk starts when you take title because you're not able to bail anymore and you have to put money in the property to sell it or like to break even or whatever. So like when we contract something, we're prepared to take it too. Like if, if we decide to wholesale that deal, we're also prepared to take it as a flip if we had to for whatever reason. Um, so like just being a real buyer will get you out of those situations too, because you are forced to know your numbers down to the dollar versus just like guessing with this total like uncertainty on every single deal that you look at. Um, and then when I, when I wrote a blog post on this, I kind of like went over all those things. And then I gave like a little, uh, another point of like, I was just trying to put myself in the, you know, if I was brand new, it's like, okay, cool. Like I get it, but I'm not going to be a real buyer because I'm brand new. I have never done a deal. So how do you do it? In my opinion, um, the best way, if you're worried about like the ethical part of wholesaling, I guess, or just like tons of new wholesalers are always uncertain on like, what if I lock up a deal and I can't find a buyer? And usually what I tell them on that, getting a little off topic here, but you know, people are obsessed. It's funny, like people are obsessed with like playing business whenever they're trying to get into things, no matter what it is, because it feels really good to like take action and like see those like immediate results of whatever it is. So like, you know, people get into whatever and they have business cards and they have their website and they have a logo and they have all this other shit that none of it makes them any money. And like wholesalers, I get cold called all the time from people that you can immediately tell right away that they've never done a deal just because the way that they sound. It's not that they're a bad person. It's not that they're an idiot. I was an idiot on the phone for a long ass time. Um, but you just don't speak the language of the industry. So like when you get cold called from someone like that and they're trying to build, quote unquote, build their buyers list and then they're asking you questions, the one that is the funniest to me, it's like, can you handle another five to 10 deals per month? And I just like, dude, you have no clue <laughs> how hard it is to do one deal a month, let alone five or 10. Um, so it's like, a, you know, it's a stupid question to ask a buyer when you have never done a deal before. Um, but you know, for them, it's like that it's much easier to build your buyers list because like when you cold call, it's like, whoa, the, the buyers actually answer the phone. And like, I put someone on my list and I put five people on my list today, but they didn't take any action to actually make money, which is like the acquisitions, not the dispositions. So they had, they've never talked to a seller in their life. They've never made an offer. They've never taken an appointment. Um, so it's like totally backwards. And that's when I get those calls, that's why I tell them like, Hey dude, I'm gonna help you out. <laughs> stop building your buyers list and go talk to a seller. Like you're doing, I understand why you're doing this because you think, well, what if I contract a deal and I can't sell it? If you have a deal that is actually a deal, you will be able to sell it. Trust me. Because at least in our market, off market deals that are actually deals are very, very hard to come by. So it's not very hard to sell them as long as you have a deal. The only reason why people can't sell their deals, at least at first, is because they don't have a deal because their numbers are wrong. So, you know, if you're brand new, I think the best way to do it is basically to do acquisitions for like a legitimate buyer. Find a buyer in your market that will actually give you the time of day and actually talk to you and help you 
with numbers. They're very, very hard to find. Um, that's how I did it when I started. Uh, a buyer that I've talked about on this podcast before was nice enough to help me because he understood that like, okay, if I help this kid, he will just bring deals directly to me. And that was kind of like the unwritten rule. And that's what I did. And what that does, like, are you leaving money on the table as a wholesaler? Yes. But like when you're brand new, uh, that should be the last, the least of your worries, like the last thing on your mind. You should just be trying to figure out how to do deals and how to get things to the finish line and learn about rehab and take appointments with the sellers and make offers and all this other stuff that actually produces like, you know, your skill set and revenue and stuff like that. You shouldn't be worried about like, oh, I have to max out my wholesale fee. Um, that comes way later. And that's where having like a big buyer's list and all that stuff helps. But at the beginning, you don't need all that shit. You need to learn. And if you can find a buyer that you can actually lean on, and I'm not saying to abuse people's time if they give it to you, because a lot of people try to do that to me because I give people my time because I feel like I have to pay it forward because I got so much help when I was new by specifically this guy. Um, you know, I would try not to waste his time. You know, I would do work on my end before bringing him something. I would look into the property. I would do my best with the numbers. I would put together an easy to read, concise email that says, here's the deal I'm looking at. Here's all the information as far as like bedroom, bathroom, square footage. You know, here's the address here. If I had photos of it, here's a link to the photos. You know, here's what I'm thinking rehab is. Here's what I think ARV is. You know, what, what would you take this at? And then he would let me know. And you have to have trust with this buyer, of course, because, you know, if you're dealing with some shady buyer, they could, they could, because I don't have a contract at this point, they could go behind your back and try to steal the deal from you and just like contact the seller directly. Um, I would never do that because I've been on the other end of that um, where, you know, he, this buyer I'm talking about clearly thought of me as an asset. Like, you know, I'm gonna help this kid. He's going to keep bringing me deals over time. That's what's happened. I've done probably 50 deals with this dude. And, um, but what that allowed me to do is you take the whole disposition process out of it. So he gives me a price, what he would pay for it. And then when you talk to the seller, you're just doing acquisitions for him. So like you already know, you've already got a verbal commitment of whatever the price is. If you can contract it for anything less than that, you have a spread there and you're going to get the reps in to learn and then when I'm when I was wrong about the numbers, when I'm like, God, I thought this would work at this price, and his number was way off, I would just ask him like, why? You know, because you look at so many deals over time, you can basically figure out, okay, I remember when we did one right down the street, or we looked at one, and his number was this. Like, what's so different about this house? And if you can find that person that will actually give you some input on like, yeah that house ARV was 400, this one's 350 for this reason, then you can really learn about real estate and, you know, rehabs with, without ever rehabbing a house. Like you learn a ton about what the actual costs are, at least for this one buyer when he rehabs a home and what he's going to do in there. And then like, just be a student of the game study. I still study it right now. We look every single day at the actives, the solds, all this stuff. So you keep an eye on the solds, you keep an eye on the actives, you know, he flips the property, it gets remodeled. And I can see like, oh, okay, yeah, they put a brand new kitchen in that, two new bathrooms, roof, windows, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I can ask him at the end of the day, hey, that deal that I got you on whatever street, what'd you end up spending on that? 60 grand. Okay, cool. Now I have a great idea of what 60K rehab looks like. So the next time I'm in front of a seller, 
I'm not assuming that this is a 15K rehab and then your numbers are way off and you have to bail on the seller and the seller's pissed off at you. And that's what gives the whole industry a bad name because people just don't know what they're doing and they're making these offers and they're contracting deals and then they end up giving it back to the seller and then the seller's pissed and you make no money. <laughs> so you should have just not contracted the deal because you still would have ended up with zero. So um, yeah, I guess the answer to is wholesaling ethical, like one depends on who you ask and two, it depends on who's doing it. Like there's a big difference on how you can do a single strategy and some of it can be unethical and some of it can be ethical. It just depends on like basically how good you are and how, how, how well you're able to perform, whether it's like your ability to actually take it down, your ability just to know your numbers enough and know your buyers enough to say like, yeah, when I contract this, even though I haven't talked to a buyer yet, I'm going to sell this. No problem. Um, that's where you're going to have no issues with anyone because you're truly providing a service to both sides. You know, another reason why I guess wholesaling is seen as unethical, I have this in my notes, but usually by agents and just, I guess, people that like find out what it is. They just truly don't understand um, like motivated sellers on average. You know, the, the people that we buy from are in the most weird, sad, just fucked up situations. Like you have to be super, super empathetic if you're doing acquisitions direct to seller because of some of the shit you see. And again, it's not because anyone's a bad person or, you know, they're any lesser. It's just like, God damn, like some of the stuff that I've seen, like is just crazy or like the stories that you hear. And with that comes like these ultra, ultra complicated transactions where at some point when you do a ton of deals, whether you're wholesaling them or flipping them yourself, you know, your the acquisition part is the same. You have to be like a true real estate expert to figure out how to get these things to the finish line because there is so many moving parts. And I would put that up against any residential real estate agent that ever talks bad about people going direct to seller off market, you know, or seller selling to an off off market investor or whatnot. They truly just don't understand. So they're always going to see things from their point of view. They've really only taken listing appointments and half of them have never even taken a listing appointment. That's the thing that kills me about agents. None of them do any business. And the ones that do, um, weird, they don't fucking complain <laughs> because they're too busy doing shit. But the agents, um, either way, the listing appointments that they have taken are with people that should be listing. And they think that every home seller is that person. And it's funny because when I talk to them, they don't even understand how hard we pre-qualify leads before we ever take an appointment on something for the same reason. It's like, we have so many leads, we can't have one acquisition manager driving all over the state of Nevada, going on five appointments a day and five of them should be listings. It's a waste of everyone's time and it's not in the seller's best interest. That's another thing about acting ethically. Our whole job is like, does this seller, can we provide value to this seller? via speed, convenience, and 5 million other things that most of our transactions need to ever get to the finish line. And those of you that come to my meetup um, here in Reno, you have heard some of the stories and like the crazy shit that we have to do just to get these things closed. Like 
the agents, that's why I say I put this up against any agent, they would not be able to close the deals that we close because of how complex and how complicated they are and just needing to be like a true real estate expert on a lot of different topics that come with motivated sellers. And, you know, usually like motivation and distressed can be used interchangeably. Um, And usually you have physical distress, like the condition of the home comes with the emotional distress, the situation that the seller is in, Um, but not always. Sometimes there is strong emotional distress um, versus condition of the home. For example, like a um, someone's spouse who may have just died or something like that. I've talked to many, many sellers that they're like, get me out of here yesterday. Um, because it goes back to the first point. They, they, these people still don't need to close in seven days. They would prefer it, but I don't want to tell them we'll get it done in seven days and then they're mad when we don't. So they're get me out of here yesterday. Um, my wife died. I cannot, I physically cannot be in this house anymore. All of this stuff is hers. Um, I can't, I don't want to take it. I can't clean up the place. I'm too old, you know, or like just not in physical condition or I don't have the funds or whatever. I just want to put a tiny little bit of personal property in my truck and I'm out of here. I'm going to live with my brother. Now that person, the alternative is listing where you have some agent show up that has never dealt with a motivated seller and they're going to present them a CMA and they're going to say, Oh, we should, uh, yeah, you should really get the place cleaned out before we go on market and I can get you top dollar. And all you have to do is paint the fascia and like get the carpets cleaned and we'll get the photographer through here. So, okay. Uh, four weeks later and uh, $5,000 worth of work because they can't do it themselves. And now the seller is ready to list. Um, and they have just started the process where they would have already been living in their wherever they want to be with us. Um, it just goes to show you it's 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 the same thing because it is people selling their house, but it's two totally different demographics. So it's just much much different. Um, and for those for a true motivated seller, they know that they're going to receive more in net proceeds if they list the property. If highest net proceeds is their main goal, that's a listing, regardless of what the place looks looks like. That's a listing. Um, most of the people that we talk to, or that we actually take appointments with, I should say, highest net proceeds is tenth on their list for things that we got to do in this sale, goals that we need to accomplish for them. Um, and that's hard for real estate agents to understand because they've never once talked to someone like that. And that's all the people that we talk to. So, um, yeah, it's just like. You're always going to look at things from your perspective. So even people that are in real estate would be like, oh, that's unethical because they think that we're ripping people off because we're they're getting less net proceeds than if they listed. And it's like, yeah, but, <laughs> uh, you know, you guys that have heard the dog fight story, it's like, okay, agent, a new agent that has never closed a deal or is on a team or, you know, whatever, uh, good luck getting that one to the finish line. Like there's no way that they could do some of the shit that we do. So that's an aside, but just pounding the point home that like, you're always going to look at things from your perspective, especially if you don't have an open mind. And most people just don't understand like what truly goes into a direct to seller model. And then I guess the, the flip side of that, when I said, you know, we provide a value for both sides, it's like, we want to provide like the best 
ever experience for a seller, like the true easy button in a real estate transaction. It can't get any easier and we're doing everything for them. And then when we wholesale a deal, alternatively, we want to provide like a really good investment opportunity off market to the other investors in town. So like all three parties win. We make a spread in between. Investor gets a deal that fits their criteria that they can flip, hold, do whatever with. And then the seller gets the like ultimate white glove service that no other buyer in town is is going to get them. So, but that's, you know, five and a half years in when we actually figured shit out and know how to do it and can perform. So it's much different at the beginning, but just to go, just to say, yeah, it depends on how you do it. Um, so real quick issues this week. Um, you know, we always do, uh, well, I guess I, f- I forgot to say at the beginning, I guess I'm kind of changing the format of this podcast. It was like, how much shit have I eaten this week? Um, I think that I'll just do a topic like I've been doing on a blog post, talk about that. And then I'll do how much shit have I eaten this week, just issues, and then end it with, with the wins like I've been doing on the episodes. But either way, issues this week, main issue this week is just getting buyers to follow the process as far as like the wholesale deals go and the dispo process and this and that. And it's like, I probably talked about that on here before. Some buyers, even if they're good buyers, they're just a fucking pain in the ass to deal with. They're hard to, they're hard to tame. You know, a lot of these buyers do their own thing. That's how they always been doing it. And they will never be different. And we can only do so much to force them to follow our process. Um, Other buyers are like very compliant and they're like, oh, this is how you guys function. Cool. Like I'll follow along. It's like, wow, that was really easy. Um, so we do what we can to stay ahead of that. And we actually are always improving our process because of other like holes that other buyers poke in it where it's like, fuck, we could have got ahead of that problem. Fuck, we could have got ahead of it, that problem. And especially going back to acting ethically, like when you assign a deal to another buyer, you're ultimately relying on them to close the deal to hold up your end of the bargain with the seller. So that's why we have focused so heavily on the dispo process um, one reason, one, to make it easy for us two to have a real systemized process for the buyers to buy a deal. So it's not a fucking clusterfuck like they've always dealt with, with every other wholesaler because the other wholesalers don't know what they're doing. And then, but most importantly is so we can feel confident while relying on the other buyer to hold up our end of the bargain to the seller. Um, so there's a lot of issues that we can get in front of, uh, to make sure that that happens. Other times it's just like, dude, what is going on? Like, what are you doing? How, how, <laughs> how sometimes. So without getting into specifics, um, that happens sometimes. And that is also a really good example on why you should not cut your timeline short because it sounds good on paper. Um, a lot of times you need the whole 30 days to close. Uh, there's Sometimes it's the seller's fault. Sometimes it's title's fault. Sometimes it's the buyer's fault. If you are using uh, private money, it's another thing that most new wholesalers don't know because all they hear is cash buyer, cash buyer, cash buyer. And then they think that everyone is using true cash when hardly anyone uses true cash. It's all private money or hard money. You're always dealing with a lender of some type. Um, Sometimes it's the lender's fault. When you promise it in seven days, like I said at the beginning, yes. Can you pull it off in seven days? Yes. But what is the likelihood that you can, as a new wholesaler, contract it, find a buyer, have the buyer walk it, 
assign the deal to the buyer, assuming that your numbers are right. Of course, that's the big one. Um, you opened up escrow on time, which none of the wholesalers do. I don't know who's teaching that, but it's bullshit. Um, and title did everything that they needed to do. The seller complied with the title company uh, and gave them everything they needed. Both buyer and seller set their signing appointments. Buyer is true cash, so they can just wire the money in. There's no holidays in here. The weekend didn't screw things up from the day that you contracted it, and the deal actually closed in seven days. Can that be done? Yes. But those of you listening to this that have ever done one deal, you're laughing right now because that is so unlikely that all of these, and that's the basic moving parts of a transaction, that all of those things go right and it's able to close in those seven days. It's so unlikely that it's laughable that we would ever be like, we'll close in seven days. Especially when the seller's like, is totally good with 30 days. <laughs> so 30 day close, like, and then that gives you time to truly find a good buyer, make sure that the buyer's gonna close, make sure that the seller's doing what they need to do to get moved out, make sure that the seller's doing what they need to do for cooperating with title and uh, providing the payoff information and title can do what they need to do as far as issuing the title commitment and the buyer's lender can fund and all these other all this other shit that goes into it. Like you just have to give yourself time. Um, so anyway, getting buyers to follow the process is still difficult. That's always issues and it will constantly be an improvement on our end. Um, wins, recent wins. Uh, we got our first full-time disposition manager hired. Training's going really good. I've been doing that role for last year. Um, you know, just talking to every buyer I can find in town and also coming up with this process that works as a middle ground for most buyers and works for us and works for them and all that other stuff. Training's going good. Um, and so yeah, that's a huge win for sure. Uh, able to delegate some of that stuff already. Um, and then I guess just like today, uh, it's November 1st. We got one new contract this morning. Uh, we closed a deal today. Uh, we assigned a deal today. We may assign another deal today. And we signed a JV because I brought a buyer for another wholesaler's deal today. So November is off to a good start. Uh, can't complain about that. Those are all really, really good wins. So anyway, um, thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.